right. Here we are. Here we are. Welcome back. Wow, Science. that was that was a, a low energy entrance for Ollie. You're not well, usually that low you know, energy. Are you feeling okay? I, I'm doing great. I, I'm just trying to reflect the seriousness of today's show. I see. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Well, then I won't joke about it. Because we are going to review the movie Barbie today. Oh, yeah. It was great. We, I wore We pink. are going to review Mission Impossible. <laughs> yeah, five or seven. Or, no, it's no, yeah, Fast and one. Furious. Fast and <clears throat> oh, Furious. Fast 19. <laughs> yeah. Oh, gosh. No. No, we're not. The seriousness. Wait, is, don't hang up yet. <laughs> uh, it is the Destroyer of Worlds, mm-hmm. J. Yes. Robert Oppenheimer. Yeah. yeah. There you are. There it is. We're going to talk about oh. Christopher Nolan's new movie. Yeah, because we, I mean, I think this is a really, uh, it's connected to the show. It's, it's, Absolutely. you know, it's science, it's, it's education, it's, you know, society. It's, um, and I think that you and I both saw it recently and mm-hmm. we were like firing off text back and forth. And I'm like, this is a show. This could be a show. We could talk yeah. about this. We could. And, that, and here yeah. we are. Because I think here's, I went to see it, uh, you know, last weekend, and it was a whole group of us that went. It was probably like I don't know, like ten of us that went together. Um, it, and it was my it was my daughter's birthday, so this you know we all went together and all that. And uh, so um, I was the only one with like real physics background in the group. Yeah, and so like you know, which which is probably pretty t- typical. Like most people who are watching yes. it are not physicists no no formal training in physics right they took maybe high school physics if they were maybe yeah yeah. and so i think watching it with you know that eye with being a physics person is gives you know us a different perspective than someone else and i think that i i would argue you know that for the first like third of the movie it gives us an advantage yeah oh yeah i mean it is like yeah, it, yeah, there's it, it, a, yeah, there's a lot of physics in there. There's a lot of physics and a lot of physicists in the yeah. first half of an hour, and they give you no time to like figure out who they are. It's just like they're jo- yeah. name dropping. I don't think we should review the movie, you no. Know, but I, but I think we do need to talk about the movie and talk about like yeah. where it is, like in society, and and I think there's lots of really cool things we could talk about in terms of how science is portrayed, how science education is portrayed, mm-hmm. and you know this theory versus practice yeah that was that's an interesting thread right that is throughout the movie too is the you know experimental physics versus theoretical physics you know yeah Yeah, there's a lot there well i will say just briefly about the the lots of physicists i mean i think christopher nolan that's part of the reason if not the whole reason that he casts like recognizable actors into very small parts in this movie. Right. Because then when you see like, Oh, that's Richard Feynman, you know, Oh, that's the guy from the boys. I know him. So when he reappears, you identify him with a character. Whereas if they were actors that you didn't know, that would be much harder to keep track of. Like Niels Bohr flies in as Kenneth Branagh. Right. It's like, Oh, oh, I don't have to worry about remembering who that guy is. Cause I know who that guy is. Right. Yeah, yeah, but but there yeah. were so many, right? I mean, it was unbelievable. Heisenberg, Bohr, Teller, like we just could just keep going. And it's like, yeah. and they and he introduces almost none of them, right? I mean, they're just yeah. like they fly in. It's just like, and I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool. That's Heisenberg. Oh, that's kind of yeah. cool. That's you know, yeah. And, and a lot and, of it's like you say in the first third or half hour of the movie, 
where they're um where he it's sort of giving you more of the history of of how Oppenheimer started the the modern physics movement in the US and you know founded the the Berkeley program and you know so it's more of him going over to Europe to meet right. with all these luminaries and learn the field and then come back and start his own program. I don't think Feynman has a line in a movie, does he? He does, but um, not much. He's very, I mean, I'm not even sure. I'm trying to remember when they're talking to him because he's at Princeton as a graduate student. So right. I can't remember if they're, they even say his name in that no, scene I don't think between so. him and Oppenheimer. Because I went and like later I went, okay, well, who was, well, who was that guy playing? Mm-hmm. And then I like, oh, it was well, Richard Feynman. Yeah. You know when he's playing the bongos, and you're like, "Oh, there he is," because yeah. that that was Feynman's like one of his. Oh, that's right. That's characteristic right. I mean, things. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's right. So, so where do but, you want to start? Like, I don't. I mean, because I think that the e- the easy stuff is like I don't know science education. Like that's because there's yeah. a bunch of scenes that happen in classrooms, and and it's a very like it is pretty common to our experiences as. Like, it's kind of wild to think like, okay, you and I were in school in like the 80s, you yeah. know, in physics classrooms and college physics classrooms and seeing those classrooms resembled ours, you yeah. know? Well, I think that the, in terms of science education, I think that the thing that's really interesting about Oppenheimer is it, because of the nature of the story and how they're telling it, you see really clear contrast between what does it look like to be in a science classroom and what does it look like to see scientists practice science? And while a lot of that, because especially the group that they're following is the theoretical group, right? So, so they are doing a lot of like standing around chalkboards and talking to each other that in many respects, they feel similar, those two contexts, right? Because they look the same. They're sort of in the same kinds of rooms. There's a chalkboards and math and talking and yeah but they're also completely different um in terms of like the things that we talk about in terms of agency who's doing the explaining what the what the the environment and the the community looks like even in these graduate classes where ostensibly these graduate students are you know they know a lot of physics they may be sitting in in Oppenheimer's class but they know a lot of physics to be sitting in the Cal Berkeley um, program in in PhD in physics. So, um, so I, I, that's just I mean not surprising, but but it is a nice contrast to see like well, here are scientists trying to work out problems, and here is essentially a classroom where what what it looks like is a scientist working out problems in front of people while they watch. Right, and it's like well, that's a very different notion of what it is to to be learning physics yeah well and it was and i think that's a good transition into how the theory practice thing because like his Mm. his classroom is right next door to lawrence's experimental physics lab right right Right? where they're like like getting their hands dirty and getting and make like building this thing and you know and there's a real contrast in how those two classrooms are happening Mm. and there's a real almost like adversarial relationship that's portrayed there. And that's pretty common, right? I mean, kind yeah. of, we see that in, like, if you watch the Big Bang Theory, right? Sure. The, that's like the sh- the Sheldon, you know, yeah. like that's, he, he's a theoretical f- physics uh, right. guy. And, you know, uh, what's, the, what's the other guy's name? Um, I don't know. 
Yeah, but he's yeah, an experimentalist. He's guy. an experimentalist, yeah. Right. And so the two of them are always battling, yeah. you know, and that's portrayed here too, is that they're not yeah. really like enemies, but they they are viewing each other's work very differently. Like, like yeah. okay, this is where the, the important stuff happens. They both feel that their environment is really where, where physics happens. Where the real physics happens. Right. Yeah. yeah, well, I think, you know, and... But I think one of the interesting things related to that that applies to us is, I mean, we talk a lot about explanations and the boundaries on explanations, right? So when kids are doing an explanation in a middle school class, like it's going to be only so sophisticated um, and there's always sort of boundaries on that. I think the interesting thing is that they portray in this movie is even the most sophisticated theories don't entirely comport with reality which is to say yeah. in a in a less fancy way there are no right answers in science right these these guys are always working like they're like well we have this theory and it may ignite the atmosphere and kill all <laughs> people on the planet or it might just be a really big bomb and kill a lot of people where the bomb is dropped we don't know because the theory won't tell us because it's too complicated and it's outside of our scope of understanding so i think that idea of like well when we talk about there being right answers in science, I mean, there it's just a misnomer. We have we have our understanding. It has boundaries. We sometimes know where those boundaries are. We sometimes don't know where those boundaries are. And we're constantly trying to develop more ways of finding evidence to to expand that. But no matter what we do, it'll never be complete. We're never going to completely understand and have descriptions of the way the world works because it's just too complicated. It, it, that was something that was portrayed in a near zero chance of lighting the yeah the we should yeah we on. right <laughs> we should actually say like spoiler alert if you ha if you haven't seen Oppenheimer and you don't want to know that all the ins and outs we are going to be talking about the details of the movie but well I mean it's it's historical right I mean like if you're yeah, like but the movie I, I mean I don't know did you know that fact about igniting the atmosphere because I'm a physics nerd and I didn't know that oh I I knew that part. I did. Okay. I, I, mean, I don't mean like like pat myself on the back, yeah. but I did know that was a, a concern because I I will say this. This is uh and I, I blogged about this a couple of days ago. Uh, it, which you know I I blogged about Oppenheimer and seeing it, but in high school I was uh you know I for a class I had to write you know a biography on a famous American and um, I wrote it on Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer. Okay. Fair. Which enough. what does that say about me as like a high school kid, right? Like. I don't know. Nerdy, angsty, yeah, you know, and you chose Oppenheimer, and I chose I did. Feynman. Uh, did uh, did you? Well, yeah, sure. Oh, I mean, that's, that, I'm, yeah. Wow, that says a lot about the two of us. It does. <laughs> it does destroyer of worlds. Yes. <laughs> My guy just did quantum electrodynamics. Like, yeah. Come on, uh, yeah. yeah. But that was one of the pieces that was in there, and yeah. the other part is like one of the movies that I like. I've seen a dozen times is Fat Man and Little Boy. Oh yeah. Sure. And it has John Cusack and it has Paul Newman and, uh, you know, a bunch of other people, too. Um, but it's about the Manhattan Project. And that yeah. is a, a part of that movie is yeah. like, you know, is it going to set the, you know, the atmosphere on fire? You know, is yeah. it? And so yeah. and that was a movie that I would show my classes like if it was like. You know, I taught AP physics. And so I, after the AP physics test, we're like, what are we going to do for the next, you know, three weeks? Yeah. Let's watch science movies. Let's watch science movies. <laughs> Interstellar. Yeah. yeah. Well, at the, not at the time. No, it was no. Like, not at the time. You know, uh, Rocket Boys. It was, yeah. you know, sure. uh, Fat Man, a Little Fat Boy. Fat Man, a Little Boy. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I well, I mean, I will say 
Um, well, there's so many things to say about this movie. I don't know. I, I mean, it, it was, I think everybody seems to agree that it, it's a fabulous movie and maybe a masterpiece and, um, certainly one, one of, if not Christopher Nolan's best movies. And he's made a lot of good movies. Absolutely. Um, but, uh, but I, I mean, I think as a, go ahead. No, I was going to say, we're, I, I didn't want to review it. Like I was trying to, no, like, no, this, I, yeah, I'm skipping past that. I, okay. I, I think like the thing for me that, well, so I sort of have this, um, I don't know what the right word is, sort, uh, sort of tension about the way they portrayed um, genius, right? Which uh, is often a thing with, especially with physicists, like there is always this, um, not that other science or other domains of knowledge don't have people held up as geniuses, certainly artists and, and novelists and lots of other, you know, there's lots of other fields of endeavor where people are held up as geniuses. But the geniuses of physics always have this sort of, um, or or physics and mathematics in particular, have this like disconnection that's part of that from reality, I guess yeah. you'd say. And so a lot of this, you know, like there's a lot of, um, you know, he was an in, he was a very internal guy. And so Oppenheimer was, mm-hmm. you know, famously they called him the Sphinx, right? So Nolan tries to portray that interiority in this very sort of visceral, like there's these strings that vibrate and, and there's stars that move around and explosions that happen. And like, that's his internal, like dialogue going on rather than being a dialogue. He uses it like through imagery and like, yeah, I, I, I think that is one of those things where, but I don't know you it's, he's a genius with a ton of other geniuses around him. Right. And, and no, it's not so much that it's the, it's the way he portrays sure. like that's how he's trying to say like this guy understands the world in a way that you could never possibly it's like this vision in his head yeah. and you know and Bohr makes that reference to the when he's talking about the mathematics and you know this was a famous thing Einstein said about not being good at math but of course he was saying he's not good at math compared to all these people who are like wizards at math so but but Bohr says to him like um you, can you hear the music right it doesn't like the algebra is the is the yeah. um is the sheet music but can you hear the music does it is it in your head can you you because if you can do that then writing it down matters less and um i just think that's it's just an interesting way of portraying what how genius manifests and what it what it looks or feels like yeah i i think I mean, there, like I said, there was a lot of really smart people in this movie, right? Yeah. And that that was one of the things that I, I I came away with is like, you know, we want smart people to be in those rooms, right? And that there were smart people making like really, really important decisions at all levels, right? Yeah. Whether they were the science people or they were the organizational people with the military or the political people, like there was like smart people up and down. And I just was like taking – taken by that like because they were you know while while nolan was definitely showing oppenheimer as being like you know this unique individual of of intellect um i think i was also struck by just how smart everybody was yeah right but but the but the thing that's in tension with all that is that um that genius or whatever you want to call it, that extreme smartness in this particular domain 
leads to, and this I think is the central tension of the movie, leads to arrogance and yeah. leads to um, decision making. And I think, you know, they try to portray sort of the different outcomes of genius combined with arrogance, you know, with Robert Downey char- character and, oh, yeah. uh, and Oppenheimer, just sort of showing like, well, you know, people who are really adept at something can take that strength and 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 manifests in the world in ways that maybe we don't want and are, are pretty bad now that i mean maybe this is the thing worth talking about as as science or science education but this question of like oppenheimer essentially makes the argument that we have to make the bomb um and then he has a whole yeah. rationale for it afterwards about well if we use it once it'll terrify everybody and nobody will ever want to make another one of these things um which was not the case, right? right. But spoiler and, alert. <laughs> right. But it's but one of the things that the movie and I think the world leaves open is, well, was that a rationalization of the fact that he just wanted to build this thing because he wanted to be the guy that had built this thing? Um, or did he really think that? Um, and and it's it's unclear, right? It's un- he certainly tried to um manifest that in the world after the after the bomb happened. Um Right. And he was really active in trying to limit how like how these were going to be created and who was going to get to create it. And he thought that treaties and, you know, governments talking about it would would allow us to like, you know, to not have to make another. Yeah. It's like, okay, well, we don't need to make these anymore. And then ultimately, you know, Teller in the movie and others um, historically really push for this to you know yeah. be expanded it's like hey if we can make an atomic bomb we can make a nuclear one you yeah. know that now we're not talking kilotons we're talking megatons and it's yeah. like yeah yeah no i mean it's and it's it tellers the portrayal of tellers really interesting in terms of it like is. he wants his name on something too yeah. right it's like i thought this cool oh, oh, this even cooler thing up you guys thought this cool thing up but i thought an even cooler big bomb thing right. up and I want to be remembered as the guy who did that. And yeah, I mean, it's it's a fascinating portrait of uh, I, I mean, it's it's really morally ambiguous territory, because I don't think there's any doubt that if the U.S. hadn't developed these things, that Russia and Germany would would have developed them both or either. Um, now, maybe they wouldn't have done it in a time frame that was inside the war, so they wouldn't have been able to actually use it like we did but i don't know that it's hard to know i i feel like so i don't know when this movie was in production so i don't know how long it's i i I think it um it came about like around the pandemic and i'm wondering like how much like i thought i think it was a few uh episodes ago i was talking about how i'd read a book that was you know written after the pandemic and that like the pandemic was part of this uh, the storyline, but I, I wonder whether this movie, I mean, some of it's like, okay, you know, Nolan read, uh, the American Prometheus, which is the book that inspired this. And he's like, okay, I want to make a, you know, a movie about Oppenheimer, but I'm wondering how much of the pandemic informed this. So, cause I mean, we're sort of in this world, this post pandemic world or still pandemic world where, Mm -hmm. Um, science is front and center, a part of the conversation and, yeah. and how people view science is really complicated. Yeah. And depending on where you sit, 
you know, science, medicine, you know, the whole, that whole world is, is viewed very differently. Like the, in a, in a less, I don't want to say trusting, but I mean, cause there's certainly people who still trust science, still trust medicine. Sure. Still, but I mean, there, but there's a portion of society that just, they're, the way they evaluate science and the way they evaluate evidence isn't the same way scientists do. Mm-hmm. And so I'm seeing that here. Um, I'm seeing it just kind of sprinkled in a lot of like art now, like, and by art, yeah. I'm using that not just as like visual sure. art, but like movies and books and, and, Music and, and yeah. yeah, it, it, absolutely. Cause we're like living in that post pandemic world, yeah. you know? Um, and, and it's just interesting because, you know, I think we miss that, but I think that like, we have to view it from that lens, you know? Yeah. But, well, yes, I agree. And also um, I think the interesting thing about Oppenheimer is it was a time in which scientists were transitioning from being sort of this person who nobody knew right. to a public, to public figures. And Einstein was the, probably the first of those to really, um, but like I don't almost think, rock stars, like almost rock stars. Yeah, for sure. But I, especially within their own community. But I think that the difference between, say, Einstein and Oppenheimer in in that in terms of this, there's a lots of other differences. But is you know, Einstein was just seen as a prototypical genius. He was fascinating to the public for that reason. It wasn't because anybody actually understood relativity or any of the any of the things that made Einstein famous. It was just, he'd, he was, he still is the prototype of, of a physicist, like, or even a scientist. Like if you ask kids to draw a scientist nine times out of 10, it looks like Einstein, right? In a lab coat with a beaker. So they missed that he was a physicist, not a chemist, and he wasn't a lab person, but okay, that's right. But, but Oppenheimer was the first real political scientist who was a scientist who actively engaged in the political um, you know, sort of venues and made himself a public figure. So, I mean, if you look at like Oppenheimer versus Fauci, I think yeah. it would be a really interesting comparison to think about like, okay, here's a guy who like was all but deified by the American public in Oppenheimer. Like really, this is, a. I mean, the communism thing came later and that sure. messed things up for him, at least with some of the population. Messed things up. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, Yeah. But in terms of his public reputation, sure it did. but, um, but, you know, if you compare him to Fauci, like there's no comparison, like Fauci was doing, you know, was, and interestingly, like Oppenheimer is the guy who invented the bomb and brought all this sort you know, d- the destroyer of worlds and Fauci arguably is the protector, right? He's trying right. to protect people from dying and, and the way that they were treated in the public domain are completely different. And it's just fascinating over now it's, it's a long period of time. Like it's what's uh, 70 years between Oppenheimer and, and Fauci. But I think we can sort of see a bell shaped curve in terms of science for a long time was on this rise of being, you know, sort of the epitome of what we want from our public thinking, which is like really evidence-based. And, and then now it's sort of tipped over this, the hump and it's come down the other side where it's like science, there are a lot of people who, like you say, not everybody, yeah. but a lot of people who are like, oh, science is just made up nonsense and we don't have to pay attention to it because those people are just lying to us and changing their mind all the time. Right. And and that if we can have one person who has all this body of evidence and another person over here who doesn't quite have it, but still has 
like a title or still has a degree or still has whatever mm-hmm. that in in the public world those two are are equal they're because they're both doctors they're both science yeah. trained people they're but one's going to get on joe rogan and the other one is not right yeah. and yeah well think, and go ahead sorry yeah i think the other part about it is you know in terms of how how those individuals like how fauci would be in a a public you know hearing right and then how oppenheimer's portrayed in the public hearing like i don't know how you know how arrogance you know is displayed you know or how well that plays in but you know like the, the there's this is a scene from the movie where you know they're making the decision whether isotopes should be able to be shared you know, mm-hmm. like something that, um, you know, should it be something that we share with our, you know, our allies? And the decision was, no, we shouldn't. We should protect that. And because they could make a bomb with it. And then, you know, Oppenheimer is like, well, they can make a bomb with anything. They can make a bomb mm. with a sandwich. They can make a bomb with, you know, yeah. a, a bottle of beer. If we're yeah. going to say like they can't have it because they can make a bomb out of it, then we're not going to send them anything. Yeah. And, you know, that response was really arrogant because it was really against, you know, you know the Stra- Strauss guy, yeah, the, who the head of the Atomic know, Energy Commission at the time, right? right? Yeah. yeah, and that ultimately had, plays a you know a big role in the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean it's um, right. I I think it's it indicates that at that point in time, when Oppenheimer's you know testifying before Congress or whatever panel that was in front of the government panel. Um, you know, he was treated with deference, right? Right. He was treated with respect and deference, whereas Fauci was treated with skepticism and denial. Um, and you know, I think that that is a, a, a real shift in our, the way that we think about both science as a field of study or a practice and also the scientists that do that work. Like, I, I don't know. I mean, there are people like, you know, Neil deGrasse Titan, Tyson. There are scientists that are sort of well-regarded, but the stuff they talk about is not substantive to our yeah. our everyday lives, right? Like I Bill mean, Nye, the science guy, you know, yeah. he's like, like yeah. he's he's out there on the circuit, right? Yeah. And, and I mean, but like what Fauci and Oppenheimer we're both talking about had substantive social consequence, right? Absolutely. So these are real social issues that they're commenting on. And the response to that is very different. I mean, we can also look at like climate change scientists and and the response to that in the public domain. And um, yeah, it's just, I feel like we're like, I guess what I'm saying is what you're seeing in Oppenheimer is that transition from scientists at best are in the back rooms informing government to scientists are public figures that are known and their opinions are valued as contributing to our understanding of how to make social decisions about our lives. And now we've come to the point where scientists are, um, you know, not, not considered to be uh, truth tellers, but considered to be political figures. Right. And um, whether it's about, pandemics or climate change or whatever environmental you know. issue i mean any yeah. of that stuff right any like, oh, any of it yeah, right yeah toxic cleanups like it's all like oh well. i i will say, like here's how uh, uh, this is a complete <laughs> rabbit hole but this is they just built a roundabout near our house oh boy right? and y- y- you would think that um 
the engineers who built this were like, you know, the most Sa- vilified Satan's people. In the world. I, I know. It's like, how dare they take my left turn away? <laughs> I mean, they've added like like a whole minute to my drive because they got rid of this left turn to put a roundabout. And what what did those engineers know about right? This? What do they know? I drive that ro- I drive that road every day. <laughs> yes. And now it's taking me a minute longer to go to the grocery store. And they, right. And they don't uh, uh yeah. What what they don't understand is that the, the these civil engineers know traffic patterns. They know yeah. Like the impacts that roundabouts can have. There's studies that have been they done have on data. this. They have data. This is not just like there's no conspiracy about roundabouts to make, mm-hmm. you know, uh, there's no roundabout conspiracy. I just want to say, Ali, roundabouts and crop circles, both round. That's yes. all I'm saying. Yes. And, so, and, and UFOs. They're UFOs, also UFOs. UFOs. Yeah. They, they're they're all, always round and they, they often are. land in crop circles. And probably now they'll start landing in in uh, traffic circles, which is what maybe that's what Boston. maybe that's a conspiracy. Is that mm-hmm. what they're trying you. to do is create more landing places for UFOs? UFOs, UFOs. Yeah. Well, it's just. I mean, I. But I think that's where we are with you know, with society is that there's this, and I don't know how we got here, but there's a this skepticism of science, skepticism of engineering, skepticism of like because. In, you know, and I don't know how, like I said, I don't know how we got here, but maybe the movies like this can help us get back there. Maybe because you get to see, you know, really smart people making really smart decisions and arguing about things. And now granted, like that they're creating a bomb and, you know, killed hundreds (laughs) of thousands of people. I don't mean to like say that, like as if it's a funny outcome, but, but no. In terms of good decision making, you're right. you're you're being self deprecating and saying, right. "Well, you you understand." Yeah, no, I I think um, maybe, but the second half of the movie is all sort of the unraveling of that due yeah. to communism, which is also, you know, that is a label that is put on present day scientists, or at least sure. liberals and communism sort of mean the same thing to some people. So. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, I think it's. I I do hope that um, science can recover. Um, I I you know, I mean, it does go to this question of. I mean, of science education. We talked about it. I was running. I was telling you earlier. I was running some PD out um, in Williamsport at the Blast IU, um, uh, and nice group. But one of the things we talked about was the, the things that you and I have talked about in in other PD sessions, which is about you know how do we how do we help students start to understand when cl- claims are unsubstantiated or false right. and in that same in that same context the idea that science doesn't have right answers like those things are in tension with each other right like you ha- we really have to think deeply about the idea that we want to communicate the nuance to students by helping them practice science that si- while science doesn't have right answers science is evidence based and rigorous and there is a process it is not just some person sitting in their room speaking into a camera and saying i have evidence here's video of you know the twin towers them sneaking gold out the back while it's burning to the ground so it was all it was all a big conspiracy it was an inside job it was an inside job so 
you know that but that is a really difficult tightrope to walk and and to take it all the way back to the themes of this show that's why having students actually practice something that approximates what science does is so important because it helps them understand that they're that their understanding is limited by the data that they have and therefore their understanding is always incomplete and if they actually not just are told that because teachers tell them that all the time and it doesn't mean anything but if you actually do it and you're like oh I'm not sure about this because we don't have enough data to have an answer to this question. That shows them what science is really like. And and so when scientists come out and say, we're 98% sure that this is happening, what a powerful thing that is, right? (laughs) That that's not like we're 2%, you know, it's like. But I think coming back to like, you know, the movie. I think that middle third of the movie where they're working on Trinity, like the, all the stuff that happens in Los Alamos, that's the, I think the part that shows to some approximation how the sausage is made, right? Yeah. Like you get to see science and the arguments that happen and people like, you know, talking about like debating, looking at evidence, looking at the, and talking about and seeing how hard that is and then making like claims like, okay, yeah. We, it's an almost a near zero chance that the atmosphere is going right. to the ninety eight percent thing, right? Right, yeah. and also like even the that we don't know whether this bomb is going to work or not. Yeah. They were all just like, "Hey, let's let's try it." Like we theoretically, it's going to work, but they didn't yeah. know, right. right? And this was like days before it was detonated, you know, in yeah, Japan, hours before, yeah. right? Yeah, it's like we don't really know, and they they only had a hand, like they what they they made one test and a couple you and know two fat boy right. and, uh, little boy uh, and that was it right yeah. and it's not like they had like hundreds fat of these laying man, around right. and the, yeah fat man little boy and the, it's not like they had hundreds of these laying around no you know it was like literally that like they didn't it, yeah they make a they make a really clear point of that right with their marbles in the jar thing that yeah. they do where they're like look this is how much uranium we have this is how much plutonium we have this is how much we have and it's taken us two years to get to this point so we're not gonna if if this thing doesn't work or if we we're, screw yeah. it up, we got no backup plan. Like there's no, no chance that we're going to sort this out some other way. So, um, yeah, I mean that, that high wire act that they were in, um, and all the choices that they make. And, and I do think that's the other thing that the, the movie portrays that I think is important is to understand that, you know, scientists are making choices about this stuff too. It's not just, some emotionless process of like, we do science. It's, you know, it's a human endeavor and the human endeavor involves human beings. And that means that, that it's complicated and, and mistakes will get made and, and choices will be made. And that is also part of the scientific process and understanding that, you know, while the process is imperfect, you know, it's like democracy. They say about democracy, right? It's not a perfect system, but it's the best system. Right. So science is similar. It's it's um, it's not a perfect system, but it's really quite good at doing what it was designed to do, which is to produce evidence based explanations that are productive and useful in the world that we can use to make decisions about how we live. Um, So if we focus on that, we're in much better shape than remembering what Newton's three laws are. Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, there are other themes we could probably unpack. I mean, I think there's a, there's one about like, you know, how responsible we are for the things that we create and design. Like Mm -hmm. we put it out there. I mean, 
do we own the use? Do we like, do we own the outcomes? Do we like, cause this is like the other part where Oppenheimer, he like is really, you know, emotionally weighed down by the fact that he created this thing. Right. Like, yeah. I think it initially he w- wanted to be the dude to do it. And yeah. then later he was like, Oh damn, I was the dude who did it. Right. Yeah. And it, it's like, you know, he, you know, I, I am death. I'm the destroyer of right. worlds. And he, you know, spends the last part of his life trying to really, you know, stop this kind of process and, yeah. and, and progress. And I think, you know, there's one part in the movie where he's called a crybaby, right? Because yeah. he's like, Truman. yeah, Truman calls him a crybaby because he was, you know, emotionally wrecked by the fact that he was the guy who did this, Yeah, you know? But I mean, yes. And I think also what Truman said is true, which is like, you didn't drop this bomb. You didn't, you didn't like, I picked, you gave me the thing, but I'm the one who decided to do it and where to do it. And so you know, you you can be a crybaby, quote unquote crybaby, if you want to. But it's, you know, in some on some level, it's like, um, you know, that old saying, like, it's not about you. Like, yeah, it it, it isn't. Re- I mean, I understand why Oppenheimer tortures himself about it, um, but it's it's also like he understands the consequences of this. Like he understands the possibility. And you know, this because of this conversation that you eventually hear between him and Albert Einstein, um, that happens sort of near, near the end of the movie. It doesn't, well, yeah, I'm just saying there's a conversation that you see early in the movie that you don't know what it's about. And then later you see it revisited. Um, so I think, you know, he, he may have said, that he thought the one bomb would be enough because people would um, would realize how horrible a technology it was. But the one other thing about that, you know, the the thing that uh, you know, I was listening to, of course, as you do podcasts about about Oppenheimer, and one of the things that they were talking about is that you know Oppenheimer didn't see pictures until much later. Like when the bomb goes off, th- this was in an era there was no television. There, like. There, there were no films of this thing because it was all secret. Nobody was setting up cameras to see what was happening there. So all the reports that he got were radio reports because that's how communication was done back then. So, you know, that there's a scene in the movie where he's watching pictures and, you know, and they don't show you actual pictures from the right. from the victims of either of the bombings. But, um, but, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's just... It's it's such a tension to see, like, how much did he really know, given how smart he was, that was going to happen and how much was self-denial and how much was ego and how, like, it's you know, human beings are complicated. So I'm sure it was many of all those things all at once. Um, but it was fascinating to to watch him go through the process. I'm probably going to see it again. You know, while I have a chance, yeah, I'm yeah, probably going to go sure. back. Out. And I think there'll probably be things I pick up on the second time that I missed on the first. I mean, it's yeah. a long movie, but and and I think um, for a, for a people, I mean, I was talking to the folks we went with. Um, there were some dissonant moments for them because they were yeah. really trying, like, what's going on here? Because I, you know, they're the way the story is told it jumps around in time. Some of it's in color, some of it's in black and white. Yeah. Um, some of it's in, you know, in the beginning of his career, some of it's later, much later in his career after the, the bomb is created and ha- having gone off. Um, 
Yeah, it's it's a it's it's a movie that requires a lot from you as a viewer. Mm-hmm. And and I think that is is great in this era of movies like The Fast and Furious and the Mission Impossible and all that, which are like, you know, just, you know, cotton candy movies, like, right? Like they're just you could just sit there and eat cotton candy and not even worry about like that. Yep. This is one where you have to pay attention, right? You have yep. to, because you're going to miss something important. And I think, um, yeah, it, it's a, it's a great movie. I mean, is it, I, is it a perfect movie? I don't know. Um, there are some parts that I think um, could be more, a little more accessible, mm-hmm. you know, for, for folks. Um, yeah. But yeah, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. And I think that the way it's, science is portrayed in it, gives us a lot to talk about not only here but also you know our, our, our you know our, in our classrooms yeah. i i would now this movie can't be shown in classrooms 100 percent, no no but there are For parts a bunch of, it of that, reasons yeah. right but there are parts that definitely can be yeah that i think that you know there's almost like a the an educational cut that i'd like to see where it just like focuses on you know a piece of the movie where it says okay here like let's show this chunk and let's talk about this and like yeah. talk about you know whether you want to talk about it from an ethical standpoint or talk about it from a scientific standpoint or whatever there is a curriculum that could be designed about like parts parts of this movie yeah um and i don't know if that's in you know in somebody's head or not but i think that that there's now obviously there are parts that cannot be you no know, <laughs> What what Ollie and I are both obliquely referring to is there's some nudity and explicit sexuality that would not go over well, especially in a high school classroom. Right. But um, but yeah, it is. Um, yeah, I I think that's right. I think there's a lot to talk about if you're a science person or you're a science education person. Um, and I also do think it is. I mean, I do think it's a masterpiece. It's an amazing movie. It the what he does and the subtlety and complexity of all the filmmaking that went into it. You know, you talk about the color versus black and white, all these things that maybe you don't even notice on the first viewing. And then because it's, you're so just engrossed in the story. I mean, I do think that is a reason to revisit it and see it again is to, to see some of that subtlety because he is really a great movie maker and absolutely. um, And this one's a good one. Yeah. Cool. All right. So I'm going to, I'm going to say that's my joy this week. Is, okay, uh, should I say that too? Because I was going to say it was my joy. Okay. Well, I, like I, I would say, like it has given me so much to think about. So much, like, yeah. like, and I've read a lot of analyses uh, on it. Sure, I've listened too. to you know different you know uh, podcasts about it. It's just been something, and it's like all over the you know, newspapers and stuff. Like New York Times keeps running different articles about it because they know people yeah. are interested. In it. Yeah, and so. Um, in fact, it's made as much money as it's made. Like it's like one of you know Nolan's like highest grossing films so far. Like it's yeah, it's great. It's great yeah. that that is front and center. You know that science and and this you know person, the scientist is is part of the public discourse right now. Yeah, yeah, and maybe maybe it'll actually impact the things that we care about and the shifts in in uh, how people view scientists, like you hoped. So we yeah. can keep our fingers crossed. Well, so, yeah. so that's our joys. That's uh, our joys. shared our shared joys. This our week. shared joy for Oppenheimer, yeah. and then yeah. we got to talk about you know this is episode one fifty three. Oh, which means that uh, oh no, one fifty six is the yeah. end of our. Sorry, yeah, we got a couple yeah. more. Sorry, yeah. I'm my my bad math there. Yeah, um, it was. It's okay. Yeah, it, it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. It's all right. 
52 and then 104 and then 156. Yes. So So we got a few. There's a pattern. Well, we'll catch you then. Catch you next time. In between. See you then. Bye now. Bye now.